Oh, it's a gentle journey Worthy of the weight Like the wild goose flying With its only mate An enduring spirit On the whiskey trail Fifteen thousand downloads, and we did say if we got to fifteen thousand downloads, we'd do another series. We're going to do another series. Here we are. It's we did series five. See, it's all the fives, isn't it? Series five, fifteen thousand. So welcome to Whiskey Unscripted with myself, Gordon Dallas, and Mister Gordon Dundas. Ah, hello, hello, hello. It's a bit late for this, but I'll say it anyway. Happy New Year. Yes, part of my, we don't do much notes in Whiskey Unscripted, no. but it was just about, you know, a quick January recap. How was January for you, Gordon? What have you it been? Went, it went very quickly, finished off by a, a cheeky little skiing holiday, so I, it was fine. Uh, <laughs> it was, no, it was really good. Uh, nice to see uh, things opening up, a little bit more positivity out there, which is great. And... Um, yeah, it's been an interesting start to the year, I think, and um, long, long may it continue. But yeah, no, really, really good. How about you? Absolutely. I suppose for whiskey purposes, the highlight of January was Burns. And I think it's just, a, a, I'm really amazed this year. We get so many requests mm. to do Burns suppers. Mm-hmm. Just a, a real, I just feel it's a real growing phenomenon. It's always been a big, but I think it's getting... Even bigger now, a burn supper amongst all sort of walks of life and all age groups as well. So uh, yeah. I was way down to Epsom to the Royal Automobile Club to do a mm. wonderful, darling, a wonderful burn supper down there. And uh, did the immortal memory. I dressed the haggis. We had the piper. I'm doing one online in a couple of days' time down in London in a few weeks' time. So um, and we had other. Um, Buns, Lake of Menteith was a highlight as well. So, Burns and Whiskey Garden, fantastic combination. Well, it's very good. I mean, Haggis and Whiskey is a great combination, great poetry, uh, uh, an absolute legend, and in, in, a legend, uh, you know, a, a complete part of Scottish history. Um, it's a great <laughs> evening. I did a tasting at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, their oh. venue in Glasgow, which was fabulous. Uh, and it was just great to, great to get out and do things. So, really, really good. And, um, yeah, and now we're sort of halfway through February already. Now, I'm surprised, Gordon. You, you, you're obviously in a sauna currently. Um, uh, yesterday was Valentine's Day, um, <laughs> or this week. Sorry, I should say it was Valentine's Day. I've literally just got through all the cards now. Um, uh, the postman literally had a had a had a tent outside the house. Um, I can imagine. I mean, he was, it was unbelievable. They actually had a lorry, an articulated lorry, to deliver them all. But it's been, oh. yeah, it's been good. I'm glad you got the delivery there, Gordon. I was worried. Oops, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> so, now, what are you was, drinking? What are you drinking? That, that's exactly what I was about to come on to. I am, um, as you know, Gordon, like a rugby, and I'm drinking a Pindern Welsh single malt whiskey. Lovely tasting that we did before Christmas with the Masters of Malts, uh-huh. the Sip and Pour. And, you know, it was. A lot of ambassadors talking about the whiskey, and Denim was one of them. So I kept a little bit of it, and it's a mm-hmm. lovely whiskey. And has it Although, got um, a nose of sour grapes? Oh, lots of sour grapes in this one. Nothing to do with the whiskey, more to do with the rugby. <laughs> I didn't lose. <laughs> I know. Well done, Wales. Well done, Wales. Now I'll tell you a few things about Pendaren. That's lovely. That's a it's, lovely jam. It's a Welsh whiskey. 
it has a very, very high spirit strength, um, from what I can remember. Somewhere in the region of 90-odd percent is its, is its new make spirit strength. Yes. Uh, and it also uses an element of a coffee still for its distillation, I think, as well. And the late, great, I think, Jim Swan was involved yes. in Penderin as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a very nice whiskey, actually, I have to say. Started up um, in the year 2000, Gordon. So it's not, you know, it's not the new boy or the new kid in the block anymore. That's now I, 22 I, years. I could tell you a funny story about Penderin. Oh, go. On you go. I think it was 2008. Uh, the Ryder Cup was at Valhalla in uh, Kentucky. And it, oh, yes. it was right at the same time as the Bourbon Festival. And I was over there for the Bourbon Festival. And I met some guys from Penderin there. Uh, their names escaped me at the moment. But they were very kind. And they said, well, come along to the, the Ryder Cup. We've got a, a sort of hospitality tent. Um, oh, I was, oh, nice. So I went to the Ryder oh, Cup. And they were very nice, very nice. And wandered around and we got we got beaten. But the, the point of the story, thank you to them. The point of the story was on the way home, I was sitting in Louisville Airport at about four o'clock in the afternoon on the Sunday to get my flight to New York to fly back. And it was culminating in the Ryder Cup. So I'd spoken to the the lady at the gate and said, look, I'm just around, I'm just around here. I'll come back at 5.30, half an hour before the plane's meant to leave. I came back at 5.15 and the They'd been shouting my name and I'd missed my plane. <laughs> you missed it. I missed it. Well, that was a, that was a, that was that was that that was a did quick we story that? about. Yeah. Well, I can't no, we got absolutely thumped. Oh. I think. Yeah. Just like you did to the whiskey. Um, yeah. By the way, that is a portwood finish, finishing export barrels. Wonderful, lovely, very creamy, nice, unfiltered, uh, and it's forty-six percent. And on that tasting, which was before Christmas, uh, and I do apologise because I. Forget the, the chap's name that was doing it. Um, talked about the new distillery they're opening in Landudno. Yeah, that's North right. Wales. Yeah, so yeah they're opening distillers. another one, yeah. Brilliant. So that is, I'm having a lovely sip of Pendern Welsh single malt. We'll talk about other uh, single malts in the UK, yes. I'm sure, yep. in this series. We've got lots of stuff to get through, but what are you drinking? I'm drinking um, I'm drinking Tamdu Distinction, which is our whiskey we brought out just before Christmas. Oh, yes. Uh, beautiful, 48%, non, non-chill filtered, no age. All about American oak sherry cast maturation. Um, beautiful whiskey, those lighter vanilla flavors, that sort of fruitiness of tamdu coming through. Gorgeous at 48%. And with a hint of water, beautifully sweet, buttery, creamy. A fabulous dram. If you've not tried it or got a bottle, make sure you go to your local specialist retailer and try and acquire one. Fabulous. Really nice. Very nice. The tamdu distinction. Gordon, Series 5, we've got a great guest coming up. We do. And we've got lots of um, new and some returning features. And we do. Do you want me to tickle you with a couple this uh, Yes, this please. Yes, time? please. Yep, please. Well, Gordon, we did a in series or series one and stroke two, we did the A to Zs of whiskey. We looked at the production process, um, looked at some of the great labels and did an A to Z. I thought we could just have a little gamble through a, a little frolic through an A to Z, but I would love to do it on people. Whiskey is about, obviously, the process, but really, if you talk to anyone, it's about the people. Yep. And I just thought you must have come into contact with loads of loads of people, uh, producers, ambassadors, you know, connoisseurs, and I might look at some of the histor- historical figures, and we'll mm-hmm. just, could we do an A to Z of the people. Of course we can do an A to Z of the people. Of course we can. And I think we should look at doing that and we should get some people to drop in uh, any recommendations of people we should speak about in our A to Zs. 
I'm anticipating Z might be difficult. But. It could be. It could be. It could be difficult. Um, just on that E, we've already heard from Mr. Dave Arcaris, ah. who supplies the little music we play at the beginning of the show. So thank yeah. you, Dave. And he's a big man into his smokehead sessions and his music sessions. But there's yeah, yeah, A for Arcari. Absolutely. Plenty of other A's out there. I can't think of them at the moment, but I think let's start this next week. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll do a bit of research on A's and B's and C's and things like that. Absolutely fabulous. Now, Gordon, um, I'm going to say a few words to you and I want your opinion of them. I've been scanning the news and there's really only one thing out there, which is McAllen Reach, the Reach by the McAllen. £92,000 of your finest uh, dough for an 81-year-old, I think it's 81-year-old, um, oh, single malt from McAllen called The Reach. Now, the Reach. single cask uh, from a sherry-seasoned cask, uh, bottled at 41.6, so it was teetering down there at that point. Amazing that you still can bottle a whiskey above 40% at that age and... I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's not overaged, of course, but two, only 288 bottles worldwide. And um, it's it's an interesting, uh, in- I think it's one of the very oldest proprietary bottling of whiskies that there ever has been. So, uh, you must be. And Gordon, just on that point, for people that maybe not so au fait with the world of whiskey, what happens if it was before below 40%? Well, you could you could age it. You can age it. It's not a whiskey. It's so so. If it was thirty nine point nine percent alcohol, that's not a whiskey anymore. So you would have to. The only way you could use that and make it a whiskey would be to marry that with a whiskey of a higher strength. So, but the funny thing is, if you marry that eighty one year old at thirty nine point nine percent with a three year old at seventy percent, it would be a three year old whiskey. <laughs> so I mean, that's the that 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 that's the that's the madness, and you would obviously never do that. But that just shows you the examples. So, you yeah. know, if it did drop below forty percent, and there is whiskies in warehouses that is that, then you would have to marry it maybe with another cask of the same age or a similar age that's got enough aggregate strength to get you back above forty. That's amazing. So they would be measuring the alcoholic strength as yep. it matured. Yep. And so I mean, yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, McAllen are masters of what they do but they'll be measuring the quality of the whiskey the alcohol strength uh the amount of liquid left in the cask etc so yeah i know amazing release not you know out, out with most people's reach but that was and an, wow. an amazing pack as well with the hands and all this type of thing not particularly my style but uh really really nice release from mccallan and uh you know they swim in a different atmosphere really to have the very oldest McAllen there's many people out there in the world who would want that so well, of I'm course. sure they know what they're doing but scarcity oh. rarity limited these are all the things people want you know um at the high end it's the same with cars watches whatever and whiskey is very much in that luxury area now uh, absolutely god the only other story that uh, caught my eye was the scotch whiskey association's um announcement a couple of days ago about the export value mm-hmm. we're not quite keep pre-pandemic levels were about 8% from pre-pandemic yep. levels but it has risen uh, from last year to now it's £4.5 billion pounds in oh, yeah. ex- with more 70 centilitre bottles being exported out there so the industry looks like it's on its way back Yeah, look, let, let's be honest let's be frank, the, the industry's had a, not a bad lockdown if we're honest um, I think what's really shifted is where whiskey's being sold, you know where travel retail was big, 
And where on-trade was big in certain countries, it shifted to off-trade. And so I'm talking about retailers, online, direct-to-consumer. And so um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big shift in how whiskey is sold, but the overall volumes are, 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 are positive, which is great. So, uh, and there is a, you know, the whiskey market is tight at the moment. There is not a lot of free whiskey swilling around in the, the market in Scotland. So it's, uh, it's challenging, but, you know, it's great. It's a good position to be in. That's a very interesting point there, Gordon, and I'd like to develop it. But we have got a special guest, uh, Mr. Malcolm Rennie, and he's the distillery manager of Rosebank. I thought before we get on, let's have a wee chat about the great distilleries that have closed. Some will maybe never reopen, and some have reopened in the last year or two. Um, So, Gordon, what the headlines when I say closed distilleries, legends... Well, I mean, there are some. Let's start, you know, in a sort of lower part of uh, Scotland. So let Rosebank, obviously, um, reopening and and Malcolm will give us an update on that. And what a history this man has. I'm really excited to hear what he's going to tell us about his experiences in this industry and what he's going to bring to Rosebank. But uh, I think the other legendary lowland that many people talk about is St. Magdalene, which was in um, which was in Linlithgow. Um, and, uh, you know, long gone now, I think it's a block of flats, but, uh, you know, Rosebank and St. Magdalene were very talked about in a very similar sort of way, uh, in terms of, um, you know, the real, uh, you know, amazing style of these whiskies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not far from where I'm sitting now, Little Mill. Little Mill, yeah. Not far from where Ochintoshin sits now, Little Mill, just down down the road. I mean, the connection with Little Mill is, and, and Rosebank is quite interesting because Little Mill was at the entrance to the Forth and Clyde Canal, which is in Bowling, which is, if anybody's yes. been to Scotland on the West Coast, it's pretty close to the Erskine Bridge. Um, Little Mill was right there, so it had access to, you know, obviously there's a reason for it being there. But if you continue up that canal for about 20 miles, 25 miles, you'll get to Rosebank. You know, that's what, so you can cycle from Bowling to Rosebank. It would probably take you couple of hours but uh, maybe three you know that's the fourth and clyde canal which is why rosebank was where it was so um you know that's why we're rebuilding it on exactly the same site and we'll get an update from malcolm and where oh, we are with that gonna be great and when you're talking about these closed distilleries it really is just i've been reading about it the last couple of days the other two that are mentioned in the same breath as rosebank really it's the ro- royalty of closed distilleries with brora and port ellen yeah Both yeah yeah brought back by diageo Absolutely. And it's great to hear, you know, in Isla, we've got, um, there's nine distilleries currently. There'll be a, um, there'll be another one from Alexia distilleries, which is being built, I think currently, or just starting. And, um, Port Ellen, of course, will be rebuilt as well. So there's going to be 11 probably in about two years time on, on Isla, which is, which is fabulous. And, um, Ambrora, you know, up North, obviously it's relationship with, uh, Leash and, uh, it's great to see it coming back as well. And that was obviously that famous announcement back in October 2017 when we all announced that, uh, that, that these distilleries were coming back. It was a great day. I remember that day well. So, um, yeah, fabulous, fabulous. Yes, yes, yes. I suppose since, you know, uh, Gordon Dallas is my name, Dallas mm. Do, um, which I must Dallas stop do. next time I bump at Tam Do, must stop at the signpost and get a photograph. But Absolutely. I always do. But it's uh, now a museum. I believe. I think Scottish mm-hmm. Heritage have got Dallas do great space side distillery of the past. Yeah. Um, 
it may not open. And many don't open. And that's there's know. some real there's some real legends also. I mean, another one that I drank a little bit of a few years ago is a the story called Imperial. Oh, yes. um, which is in Karen, very near Tamdu, not too far away. And it, it's not there anymore. Obviously, it's been knocked down. It's now it's now uh, Dalmonic, which is a big, uh, new, beautiful distillery by uh, Perla Ricard, uh, producing about six million odd litres, I think, if not a wee bit more than that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, great, you know, there's a whole host of lost distilleries. Um, and, and Gordon, you can buy whiskey as a category, the lost distilleries. Well, you know, yeah, there was this. You can do Highland, Lowland, Campbellton, Isla Speyside, but there's also in certain shops or online, because I've been, you know, looking, you yeah. can get whiskey from these closed stroke lost distilleries. You can still buy whiskey from lost distilleries, and they're not all they're not always that expensive. Um, but also there was a uh, a great business, a business that, that that actually was trying to recreate whiskies of lost distilleries as well by taking the understanding of their production techniques and blending modern whiskey to make it taste. Similar, which I thought was an interesting approach. But uh, yeah, no, it's all about, uh, it's a really exciting time in whiskey. And you think of all the distilleries that are opening that are new um, and the ones that are coming back that are old, effectively new distilleries. But, you know, with that brilliant history and Rosebank is one of them. Oh, it's kind of really excited. I think without much further ado, should we we speak to the man himself? We should do. Yeah, absolutely. Malcolm, how are you? I'm very well, Gordon. Thanks very much. Nice to meet you guys. How are you, Malcolm? Great to see you. Yeah, very good, thanks. Now, so, I've, so, not, I've not met Malcolm Gordon yet, so oh, I believe you, you've been out to Rosebank already. You've met Malcolm? I've met Malcolm, yes, I have. Malcolm, how are we? I'm Gordon Dallas. I'm uh, very well. Thanks. Nice to meet you, Gordon. <laughs> it's great. This is really so, easy for me, by the way. You two guys could be the same name. It's one, it's only got one name to remember. Yeah, absolutely. It's like little and large, though, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. um, uh, so it's nice to meet you anyway, Malcolm. Good day. Yeah, thanks you too, for being on the show. <laughs> And we're, we're obviously delighted about um, you heading up Rosebank. That's really, really exciting. But And, uh, you know, I know you have a huge sort of history in this industry, and, and, and I'm keen to sort of start back at the beginning, Malcolm, yeah. from your perspective. As many people ask me, how did, how did I get into the whiskey industry? And I sort of always say, well, I fell into it. <laughs> how, did, how did you get into the whiskey industry, and how did well, you become a distiller? I suppose I was kind of dragged into it by my father, really, I suppose, at the end of the day. Um, my father was a cooper, and we originally went from Stirling to Isla in 1974. Oh, wow. Bonhaven Distillery. Oh, nice. My dad was uh, the cooper there. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I spent my, my, my younger formative years at school in Isla, growing mm-hmm. up there. As you, as you well know, Gordon, both of these are a fantastic place to grow up. Fabulous, yeah. Um, you know, obviously full of whiskey and everything that goes along with it. But then initially I didn't want to go into the whiskey industry. I actually went uh, to join the Merchant Navy. Right. So I joined the Merchant uh-huh. Navy as a, a deck officer cadet. And I was away uh-huh. during the seven seas for about two and a half years after I left school. Sounds uh, always a great thing to do. Oh, I've been oh, around the world yeah. and yeah, yeah, travelling yeah. the seven seas. Oh, lots yeah. of things. So lots of things I don't want to see again, I must admit. <laughs> As you can imagine. I bet, I bet, I bet. I'm, I'm just thinking of the Billy Connolly uh, single in the Navy. I just don't know if that was instrumental <laughs> in the decision. <laughs> so, so, yes, right, and so then I then, uh, thought that this isn't really for me. We came back to Isla, kind of did a few wee bits and pieces jobs here and there, and then eventually got a job in Brooklady Distillery in 1987. 
so that's I mean that's that's quite a so 1987 is I mean with single malts in a very ago, different yeah. Very, yeah but very different yeah. place mm. to where it is now you know and that's yes. what's so interesting yeah yeah, yeah so Brooklady at the time was owned by Inver Gordon so there's an art time. and again it wasn't it wasn't really marked as a, a single malt no. it was really a, a blender a, a whiskey they used for blending I, I would assume and like most easier. like most yeah like most at that time yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your first job? What, what did you do there? Uh, mashing. So, so basically, basically went through the whole thing. Basically, you start at the bottom, climb to the top, as far as the way I see it. <laughs> so you decided... It's taken that, a long time. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, think of all that beautiful experience you've got. Yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. So, Brucladi, mashing, what age were you at that point? Early 20s, mid-20s. So yeah, you became an expert 20s. in mashing and then what, tried a bit of fermentation... Yes. Bit, yeah, bit of distillation, yeah. bit of everything. We, we did everything at Brooklady, yeah. So we yeah. did mashing and stilling and everything yeah. and warehousing a lot. Yeah. So yeah. My, my dad had then moved from Bunnahaven to be head warehouseman at Brooklady at that time. So myself and my dad worked together for eight years at Brooklady. And when you were in Isla, where were you living on Isla? We were living in, well, obviously we moved to Bunnahaven initially and then we moved to Brooklady when I was working at Brooklady. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently I moved to Port Charlotte. So after that, what what, what yep. was next for you, Malcolm? So after that, unfortunately, Buclady was closed in 1995. Mm-hmm. After White Mackay took over, they closed Buclady. Uh So I had a, a couple of wee jobs in between, and I eventually I was very lucky to get a job at Ardbeg Distillery when Glenmondry took over in 1997. Ardbeg on the south of the island, obviously, yes. uh-huh. next door to Lagavulin and to Lafroig. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the big, more known for their bigger PT style. Yes, uh-huh. but again, our bag at that time was a reasonably wasn't really a um, single malt brand either. Obviously, no. it's been kind of you've turned it into a huge single malt, you know. And that's the point we we just saw a thing recently about the exports, Mike Malcolm, and you'll you'll get this. Obviously, you know, back in the nineties, blends were absolutely dominant in terms yes. of you know uh-huh. volume and everything, and and. Single malts were components of those blends, really, with, with the exception of a few bigger brands like Glenfiddich. And 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 now look where we are. It's an amazing yeah, sort of absolutely. transformation, isn't it? Uh, how long were you at Ardbeg for? Ardbeg, I was at Ardbeg f- until 2005. Now, I know this next bit. Dur- but, during, um, that, during that time, though, I spent six months on a secondment as assistant manager at Glen Murray Distillery in Elgin. Ah, Glen Murray. Yes. Glen Murray, my good friend Ian Allen works for Glen Murray. Um, uh-huh. I know them yeah. well. Yeah, good, good. Oh, so that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Owned now by the French, I believe. Um, yes, yes. Um, so, so really the the Glen Murray thing was really what started putting me onto the management side. Uh-huh. I wanted to progress from mashing and stilling to into the management side of, you know, stilling itself. So, And then, as you mentioned, 2005, I then moved to Kilhoman Distillery to open that up from scratch, basically. So so Kilhoman, for those who maybe aren't aware, and a lot of people might be, is, was was the was effectively the eighth distillery on Isla that, that was mm-hmm. opened, as you said, in 2005 by the Wills family. Um, right, yeah. mm-hmm. I know Anthony and the sons quite well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the only distillery that's not on the coast, uh, on an old farm, is it not? Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's on, it's on the farm, yeah. What are the things that you... You sort of have to think about. I mean, it sounds a really silly thing, to, you know. But I mean, were you involved in the procurement and the building of all those? Um, you know, not, how- not so much of the right, procurement okay. of the equipment. I really, I was kind of brought in when half of the equipment was installed. Okay. Then, but so really, I was brought in to make the whiskey. In effect, your experience and knowledge of 
the spirit style that, that you wanted to create, I yeah. guess, with everybody there, I guess. How do yeah. you how do you sort of settle on that spirit style? Do you look at the stills and go, well, this is probably going to do this? So do we well, want you to kind of will. You really decide on a style of spirit you want to produce, and then you yes. kind of fabricate the stills to match. Sure, of course. The, yeah. the spirit profile that you want and, mm-hmm. you know, your whole mashing regime and everything else and your wood policy. So, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that was a long, helped along there by Jim Swan, I must admit. Yeah, we just we mentioned Jim Swan. Yeah, we we just spoke about him earlier. Actually, in the I I, I obviously learned an awful lot from Jim. Well, I met Jim a few times when he was out. I was lived in Taiwan, and I met him when he was doing work with Cavalan. That's right. And he also, we were just uh, Gordon's drinking a Penderin, which he was involved with as well. Um, um, uh, And uh, he was, and he's been involved in so many different distilleries, but. um, Yeah, and, and a sad loss to the industry. Um, so what, what, God, what, Jim, what would Jim do when he came in to Oklahoma with yourself, Malcolm? What role would he have? Really, really in kind of defining the style of spirit and how to produce it, really, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, collaborative approach between myself and Jim. So if I was to say to you, what is the new make spirit style of Kilhoman from when you remember it, what, what's its sort of house style, would you say? Well, Kilhoman was always a, it's quite a high cut point for a, a, a peated, I mean, it's a very peated, it's 55 parts from only the same as our bag. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's, it retains a lot of that estuary fruitiness in it, mm-hmm. along with that big hit of peat as well. And, and it's very well balanced, I would say. I think that's the key for Kilhoman. Yeah. And it, look, I mean, you only need to look at the, that brand now yeah, and absolutely. how well it's done. Yes. And, and that's not just down to good marketing. It's down to no, getting the intrinsics just... right and getting yeah. the, at the front yeah. end. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely down to you. And it's, it's, all about, it's all about maintaining that, that spirit quality and, and character. Yeah. You know? and, and buying good yeah. casks and all those things absolutely. we've spoken yeah. about for four series, Gordon. Four series. Yeah. Yeah. Bambled on I'm, about just, I'm fascinated to hear you guys chat, but just how long did that take? Malcolm, and I've always got my Rosebank head on as well, but how long um, does that take to get that style locked in and replicated and you're away? Not, not as long as you would think, really. I mean, you know, you go on with a, a definite idea in your head, but you still, you just do not know what spirit you're going to get until it comes out that still. Mm. You know, you can, yeah. you can plan as much as you like, but fortunately to date, most things have gone well and, and we've ended up with a spirit that we hoped we would, we would achieve, so... Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm hoping I'm going to do the same job at uh, Rosebank. Okay. Kilhoman, 2005. Obviously, um, how long were you there for after Five that? years. Five, five years. years. Five, five years. years, yeah. Five and then years. would I be right in saying John McClellan came in? That's right, yes. Uh, John came in. The, the late, the great yeah. John, who mm-hmm. is a beautiful, well, was a lovely, lovely yeah. man mm-hmm. and um, a real, be- I mean, a fantastic guy. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. again, not with us anymore oh, but anymore, um, no. uh, he was yeah. he he would obviously work for years at Buna Haven hadn't Buna he? Haven, that's right yeah so yeah John came in after you so after you left in 2000 uh two, sorry 2010, 2010 yeah of course I'm losing the place um, um where did you head off to next I then headed off to the borders or to Annandale distillery and just outside Annan okay. which was kind of similar to Rosebank I would say it, it was a derelict distillery that was closed for an awful long time. It was like almost 100 years that it had been closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and basically, yes, from scratch, started that one up again. Again, heavily involved right from the very beginning with designing the, the spirit profile and the, all the equipment mm-hmm. to make that spirit. And um, and then after after Annandale? 
After Annandale, I did about a couple of years of consulting, actually. Very I did nice. a bit of consulting for um, new start, specifically new start distilleries. So this the first one job I got was Loch Lee, and I did a bit for uh, Annabelle at McNean as well. Oh, yes. Up near Ardnamurkin on the Ardnamurkin Peninsula, opposite basically yeah. Tobermory, if you're up that way. Uh, yeah. Right. Consulted. I, I, quite, I must admit, I quite enjoyed it. Um, mm. But the lure of making whiskey, I think, came back to, to draw me mm. back to actually making whiskey again. And, and then from consulting, I then agreed to become the distillery manager at Loch Lee Distillery. Which coincidentally Which have just launched just released, their first yes. single malt. Yes. I, ho- I hope you have a bottle. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and are you, I mean, you must be proud of that as well. I mean, Absolutely, obviously. Yes, I'm proud uh, of it. All the whiskies I've made. Uh, great. That's quite, well, yeah. I mean, of course, I, I, I meant that. I meant that. But yeah. um, I mean, that's, that. it's great to see that because I've actually went to the distillery about three years ago and I met Neil, who I sort of know through just friends and he was talking to me about what he wanted to do and, and what was that that day then was that the weekend it was, was it? basically two days before christmas i think but my oh, christmas oh, right, and new okay. year yeah and just, i had a well, wonder just, yeah. us, where, where is it and could you just a quick background on Loch Lee, quick fact check please just it's just outside mochlin and it's actually a farm that robert burns lived on for those oh. who don't know it's near kilmarnock for near to, kilmarnock, you know, yes, near so. kilmarnock on them so sort of um Ayrshire, uh, south yes, of Glasgow, uh, yeah. is the best way to do so a lowland whiskey. Yes. Um, and, and it was released, I think, what on a couple of weeks ago. So, um, Tom's that was released, yeah. Yeah. So great to see that out there finally. And, and, um, and, um, obviously, what, what then has happened, of course, is you have joined us. Yeah. And our friend of the show, John Campbell from mm-hmm. Lafroig, yes, fame, 25 odd years plus, has joined Lockley. So, um, and 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 now, you, Malcolm, you are the distillery manager of Rosebank. So how do, how does how does that attract you? How does that uh, in taking in on board your history? You you are you're clearly very well suited to where we are with Rosebank, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's a huge honour. I think to be asked to to reopen on such an iconic distillery like Rosebank. I think that's that's the main that was the main draw for me. Yeah, you know, to be involved in that whole project to bring back a distillery like Rosebank is just a once in a lifetime opportunity. I think. Uh, when I was speaking three or four years ago about this, my excitement was like, "This is yeah. such an exciting project!" Mm-hmm. And and even now, from your perspective, getting your hands and getting getting to that point, which we'll just discuss, when you can start to distill and see what the spirit's going to look like, is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I was down there this morning, and well. Yes, there's a long way to go yet. <laughs> yes, so, so yes, so um, for those who've not, who, who a lot of people will know the story, but we're rebuilding Rosebank on the original site by the Fourth and Clyde Canal in Camelon. It's it's been affected slightly by COVID, but it is pressing on. Yes, and yeah. and so if you could do a wee summary of where we are, that would be great. Uh, a lot of the building structure is up. Uh, we have some of the plant is in, so the mash tons in. The, the heating tanks in, the, the mill is in, and the grist case is in. Mm-hmm. And more excitingly, the stills are arriving in a couple of weeks' time. Ooh, I think we'll be there for that. Good. Yes. Uh-huh. And where, they, where, where are they arriving from? They're arriving from Forsyth. Up in Rothes. Yeah. Now, wow. Forsyth, for those who don't know, Forsyth are the pretty much the main 
production, yes. main, main mm. people who produce copper pot stills, obviously. Mm. And they have an order book that I think stretches way into mm. the future. And you have to get your slot to get your, your stills made, don't you? So we managed to get the the original drawings for the old original stills. Yeah. And so they've been replicated by for size. So, so you know, obviously the, the whole idea is we'll try and replicate the spirit of Rosebank. Mm. We never Sorry. get... No one knows if we'll ever get it exactly correct, obviously. No, because we don't have any new make from back then and the whole world has changed and things are different. But actually, there's a chance you could make it better, of course, because of the the, the modern ways of doing things. But it was famous for its its, juxtaposition, I think. And that's as a distiller, you must still sit there and think, that is really weird. It is weird. It's very weird. (laughs) Explain the weirdness, please. Explain it to the listeners. Well, so it's triple distilled, but she normally gives you a very light, lighter, kind of smoother, fruitier kind of spirit. And then you put it through one top condensers, which add body and, and depth back into it. So it's kind of a, as Gordon says, it's kind of a juxtaposition of two different styles really mixed together. Mm. And if you see the stills, when you actually see the stills, there's three stills. They're, they're very different shapes, sizes. The wash stills are very weird shape, you know, Things just don't, and the way they've set out, the way they run, mm-hmm. just sometimes doesn't make sense. But obviously, that not making sense makes a great whiskey at the end of the day. So, well, I think that's the point. I mean, you, yeah. know, you taste old Rosebank, some of the ones we've released, the thirty-year-old. Yeah. It's just sumptuously mm-hmm. juicy, summer meadowy type whiskey, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful whiskey. Obviously, Lowland triple distilled. I assume it's going to be, and I'm not trying to be too technical, but it's going to be a, 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 a straight triple distillation. It'll just be through one still, through a second intermediate yes. still, and into into the spirit still at the end. Certainly to start with, anyway. Yes. Right. Okay. So we to we, we get a kind of spirit close to what we think we like, and then we can, then we can start playing with different things, different ways of. You know, we could take some of the high wines from the intermediate and put it back in and stuff. Oh, like that. But, well, this is where it all gets but, very, but it so where you have, but, where you have um, drawings of arrows yes, and this is yeah. where this goes. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah. You know, but one of, one of the main things we, we can affect spirit style will be through the warm tubs. Mm-hmm. So by varying the flow rates in there and the, the ambient temperature of the cooling water, we can, you know, we can add add body or take body out. You know, we, so, may, we may end up having maybe two different styles. Who knows? We might have a, a seasonal style, you know, in the winter, obviously, mm-hmm. the water's very, very cold, so we can have a, a much heavier style of spirit if we want. If we want to do that, that's, that's the beauty of the whole thing. And could you just, I've got a couple of questions, just explain, because I'm conscious that one or two people maybe listen to the show that aren't as literate. Why does worm tubs add body to the spirit as opposed to the shell and tube condensers? Well, so worm tubs basically is a, the, the vapour goes through a big, long copper uh, coil which is immersed in cold water. Now, the, the vapour then goes through there. When it goes in, it condenses really quite quickly compared to a modern shell and tube condenser. And so then you get less copper contact in effect. Right. Mm-hmm. So that adds a lot of that body into it. Uh, yeah. And, and another question I've got, that's for both of you. And this is another thing for Gordon for Whiskey Unscripted. I've been in touch with the Scottish Whiskey Research Institute and we'll be hearing from them in the course of the next few weeks talking about flavour, where it comes from. Now, you've put down the blueprint for many a new distillery. I'll ask that for both of you. Flavour. I mean, you've already maybe intimated where it comes from, but where does it come from and how does it 
you know, get into the new well, I, I would say, I would say it comes from the whole process, not just not just the stills. I mean, mm. obviously you concentrate a lot on the stills, but the way you mash, you know, the way you're whether you're on clear warts or dirty warts, uh, what yeast you use in fermentation, fermentation time. There's so many different factors that, that kind of change the the flavour of your final spirit. Yeah, look, I mean, I think I think I th- totally agree. I mean, you know, if you, I've always said, and you know, to people that you know, you the most important part is actually your grind. If you don't get your grind right, yeah. the whole uh-huh. things the whole things yeah. a snowball and becomes a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is every element of it, and some distilleries want clear warts, some mm-hmm. distilleries want cloudy warts because yeah. they're trying to achieve different things fermentation all that absolutely and your distillation is almost a sort of cream on the top but it's the base that yeah. that, that, that needs mm-hmm. to work what i think is really really important is that there is people that you know talk about casks and how important casks are and we you know they are absolutely yes. important because you put great spirit in a bad cask it's going to be a bad whiskey we know that but it's not as simple as saying 70 percent of the flavor comes from the cask and 30 percent rosebank's probably more of a spirit-driven whiskey in terms Absolutely, of its house yeah. style, more yeah. than flavors from the cask in terms of mm. the history and the style of whiskey because it suits that. And I think that's – so it's not as simple as, as you know, sort of pigeonholing it no. as that, but it, it's everything that comes together to make a great yeah. whiskey. Because you say, Gordon, we know historically that Rose Bank was put into probably not the best casks in the world, to be mm. honest. Yeah. A lot of it anyway, you know, so – so it's the spirit character, the, shine, the spirit itself that shines through rather than being influenced uh, more so by the wood. And, and the reason why that is because we're predominantly, I, I would imagine the first cask we fill will be a refill hogshead, I would yes. imagine. Yes, I would um, so, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and that'll be a cask have, that's been used before, so it's yeah. going to generate a bit less colour, uh, a little bit, a little bit. It's, it's not going to impact that spirit as much as the first fill. And you'll get those beautiful fruity flavors and that beautiful element of those worm tubs and the weight coming through, hopefully. So that is, yes. I would imagine, how we're going to do it. But yeah. probably, probably mm-hmm. be a first fill sherry butt that we fill. I'm joking. Just a technical question would be: just the layout. Are you uh, have any say in just the layout where the stills will be in relation to the the mash tuns in relation to you know when you walk through the distillery? Well, that's that's kind of us. That's what kind of all been decided already, Gordon. Yeah, really. Right. Yeah. That was that was it's, three it's, years it's, ago. It's laid out very logically, so, anyway. It's it's, it's, it's fine. It's absolutely and I, fine. And I think the one thing, if people know, it's really it's a very odd site, isn't it? Oh yes. It, yes. I mean, it's on a uh-huh. corner, and it's it's not got a lot of room, but it's been no. very cleverly designed, hasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. So the whole the whole production process just basically goes from one end of the building to the other, which is absolutely perfect. It's mm-hmm. the way it should be. Um, so and it's very visitor friendly as well. The, the yeah. whole distillery. Yeah. No, it's great. We're really excited by it. So, so what are the rough moving forward now to? And I don't know if things will change, obviously. But mm-hmm. what, what's the rough sort of timetable till you can get your first mash done? I'm going to say end of August, beginning of September, hopefully. End of August, beginning, and then you everything goes well, and then you'll have a little period of. We'll trying a, different we'll a, things. We'll, we'll have a good few weeks of uh, of trying different things. Yeah, absolutely. And then settle on a spirit. And then settle Brilliant. on a spirit, or maybe two different styles of spirit. Who knows? Interesting. These distilleries that are opening up, great for the local economy and for jobs. Will we be supplying jobs? Production absolutely. Yes. 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 Have you yeah, done yeah. It already? Are you looking for people? No, no. I'll be I'll be looking to recruit some people uh, probably in the next couple of months, next two to three months. I would imagine would be. 
Fantastic. some job adverts going out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Rosebank is all about the local community. You know, it's yes, all about them. I mean, yeah. You know, it was always, you know, the people of Falkirk are very proud of this distillery. So mm-hmm. we want to, uh, you know, have local people working there would be fabulous. So we certainly are. Everyone's been fully behind us and and, yeah. and bringing Rosebank back. It's been fantastic. It's really exciting, yeah. I've got another question I'm going to throw out to both of you. Because um, you've got to ask these questions. It did close Rosebank. So did Brewer. So did Port Ellen. We've had a discussion about these distilleries. Some never opened again. So why, when we opened Rosebank... Are we confident? Are confident? Nineteen ninety three won't happen again. Well, I think I think the single malt market's totally changed. I mean, it's you know the market for single malt's enormous. Yeah, that, that's a big point, isn't it? Really, you've mentioned already, Gordon. It was all about blends and single malt as a as a category hadn't really taken off. So, if it wasn't required for the blend, there was not really a, a, a need for these distilleries. There is a need now. That's my yeah. I think, the, I think the point was, if you look at the market in the 90s, uh, single malt was still relatively small, but it was a category that got a lot of people interested. And I think what was what happening, there was almost a state of flux in terms of blends were stale and not really doing much. And there was an oversupply of single malt. Um, and so certain distilleries fell by the wayside. Um, um, and those that were doing single malt were doing it like McAllen and Glenfiddich and other people were doing it and getting out there and doing things. And then this rise of single malt, I think, happened in the 90s, the late 90s. And, and now look where we are. And I don't see it stopping, really. And, and I mean that in a really positive way. I mean, you, you, yeah. know, you think of places like India, which don't really import that much single malt at the moment. China's, I mean, we're literally on the tip of the iceberg with China. Um mm. And uh, Australia's garnering a lot more, you know, they're drinking less and drinking better, I keep getting told down there, which is, <laughs> which is not very un-Australian to me, but they're, they're <laughs> loving it. And America is the sort of, you know, America is continuing to grow. So the long-term sort of DNA of the industry is very positive, and I think that's why you're seeing so many distilleries opening up. Is that fair, yeah. Malcolm? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally be, yeah. So, so we're looking at probably hopefully end of August, early September. I hopefully. don't think that, I don't think we'll be looking into visitors until twenty twenty three. But no, that's, that's that's a good thing from my point. Of view. Yeah, yeah. You you need yes. a you need a clean run. <laughs> you you leave me alone to get the spirit right. Yeah, first. exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah. but that's the, so that's the rough timescale. And and for those people out there, we've launched a thirty year old. There's another one coming. Another launch of these oh, very rare casks that we have as part of the purchase of the distillery that we got. There'll be one of them coming out in midsummer, roughly. It's going to be a 31, I think. Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but it is. Um, and um, yeah, it's really, really exciting. It's really and, exciting. And have you again, been, Gordon? Have you been to site, Gordon? I've not been to site. You've done videos and go to the Rosebank website uh, and the social media channels. You're there with Robbie Hughes. I've not been asked yet. Maybe Malcolm, I forgot. Oh, well, I'm, ask, I'm asking you, Gordon. You come whenever you like. <laughs> Thank you, Malcolm. Let me know. <laughs> no one else has so far. There'll be a, there'll <laughs> no, be a hard I'm, hat with your name on it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've looked into some of the... Uh, I love it. It's great history around there. I love my history. And the Fourth and uh, Clyde Canal, the Union Canal as well. And even this morning, I was reading about Alfred Nobel, he of the dynamite... Um, and the Nobel Peace Prize living just around the corner from Rosebank. So, right, okay. uh, and, and big, yeah, yeah, the big dynamite factory just down the road from Rosebank, oh, right. which hopefully might even feature in one or two of the chats when we do tours there. 
staff mostly by women, even during World War II, it was uh, mm -hmm. firing out munitions. So, fascinating part of the world, and that's going to be wonderful. My last question to you, Malcolm, do you know the rough output of what a distillery will be, but the number of mash tons you've got? And yes, yes, so we we'll were looking to produce around about a million litres a year, so oh, wow. we want to have that's... the ground running, really, so, you know, yeah. philosophy is, if you don't make it when you start, then you can't sell it where you need to sell it, so you know, we might as well start at uh, full full production, really. Yeah, that's great news. Great yeah, news, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I think a million liters puts it. I mean, it's a very similar size distillery in terms of output to Glengoyne. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. which is a million as well, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Tam do considerably bigger, but bigger. Uh, yeah. but um, you know, a million. Is, and actually, if you think about it, people going oh, a million, I, we were at McAllen last week. I was actually at McAllen last week and. They could produce, uh, I think, somewhere in the region of 15 or 16 million. And mm. then I was at Glenlivet. We were doing a wee tour around a couple of distilleries. And um, Glenlivet's currently, I think, at 21 million. But if they expand their, their, their next expansion three, as they call it, they could be up to 30 million litres. Right. So quite a bit bigger. So, but it's not, not bigger when you see it in that perspective, but uh, no, fair exactly. size. Reasonable size. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. A million yeah. litres is a lot of bottles of whiskey well, in 10 years' time. For you to sell in the future. <laughs> yeah, rather, exactly, yeah. <laughs> which is a good thing to have. So, yeah. fantastic. So, well, Malcolm, we're, we, I'm hugely excited you're on board with us. It's great to great to have you uh, and your experience. Um, well, I, mean, I, I can't wait to get my hands on those stills and, and start making can. that spirit. Like a you know. kid in a sweet shop. Absolutely, um, yes. <laughs> it's almost like heart surgery. I just have a vision of in the stills go inside that building, you just feel it start beating. It yeah. almost comes to life, isn't it? Like a heart yeah. going into a body. Yeah, they, they, they always say the stills are the beating heart of every distillery, yeah, and they certainly are. That will be amazing. Great, great to see them going in. Now, there's only... Just, sorry, carry on, Gordon. No, I'm just saying, I have to physically drive down the road. That's how you get stills. Yes, I mean, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not being stupid, but it's... No, no, they'll, no, they'll be driven on the back of a lorry down the road from... Rothus, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you 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 can see it in two weeks' time. There'll be people mm -hmm. fuming because there's a lorry going really slowly <laughs> down the A9. Half the road's going to be closed down, as well. So. <laughs> yeah, down the A9, which is at times the worst road in the world anyway. Yeah. There's going to be a wide load with stills on it and outriders and all this type of thing, and that'll be the stills coming. It's very exciting. Um, one, one really interesting story, Malcolm. I think you may know this story. Um, there's only one old bit of kit isn't there? Am yes, I right? The mill. The mill. Yes. The mill. So yes. there's an interesting story about the mill, isn't there? Aye. So the mill, the mill originally came from Portelland distillery and came over to Rosebank in the 1930s. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and and these mills, when you go around all of these distilleries, uh, yeah. they're either Bobby Mills or Porteous Mills. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember. Is it a Bobby Mill? It's a Bobby we've got. It's a Bob, um, Bobby Mill. Yes. Same yes. as Glengoyne. And the, basically, uh, the story of these are brilliant because, yeah. well, they're not really ultimately in the long range sort of, but these these mills were made so well um, that they were the victim of their own success and nobody yeah. needed a new one. <laughs> they were basically over-engineered so much that basically they, they didn't wear out. They, yeah. You, know, you replace a few parts now and again and they just keep going. So, mm -hmm. so ultimately the companies went out of business, yeah. Yeah, and there's this very famous guy who goes around all the distilleries fixing yes. these mills. Uh -huh. I think he's a we Welsh Ron, guy, is that right? We Ronnie Lee, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's, he goes around all of them. Great business because yeah. 
Uh, and he's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great, great story. So, yeah, poor Alan Mill at, at, at Rosebank, yeah. and that's that's mm-hmm. fabulous. So, look, great. Malcolm, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. We're, we're very oh, it's excited. It's been great. It's been to speak to you guys. No problem. I will. Well, Gordon, you get up to Rosebank. You I need to, to come, Gordon. Exactly. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> With my stick of dynamite. Do Just you, let uh, me know first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Malcolm, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure and, to meet you too, Gordon. Launching Series 5 of Whiskey Unscripted. We're off and running, Gordon. Hey! Thank you, Malcolm. Plunger. Cheers. Hey. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks guys. That- and he's off. That was... That was... That was yeah, we, we had plans because it's unscripted to try and keep it down time wise. Yeah, I mean, we've got something like Malcolm on, and to hear you guys chat and talk, I just wanted to let it roll. So, I oh, failed. Uh, no, fantastic. And look, a man with amazing experience to to do what's going to be coming down the pipe for Rosebank in the next six to nine months. It's really, really exciting. So, um, yeah, great to have him on board. Lovely guy, and uh, he's clearly champing at the bit, which is great. Yeah. What a a toy that is for somebody of his uh, experience to just get everything connected together and get it running. What a what a, ah, a, a job that would be. Absolutely. You go to these distilleries, Gordon, very quickly. You go to these distilleries, you just think, oh, it's just there, it's just here. You walk, you know, somebody had to physically put them together, you know, ah, make it all work. It's, it's unbelievable to have, you know, obviously Robbie Hughes is, I think Robbie's worked at about 97,000 distilleries. Um, <laughs> He's got a huge amount of experience. Malcolm as well. Robbie heavily involved in bringing Tamdu back from Mothballed as well. So a lot of it, distilling experience in the business and, uh, and and very, very excited about what's coming down the pipe for Rosebank. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic. My, line, my final point on this show, I'm going to have to phone Sandy McIntyre of Tamdu up because if he gets stuck behind those stills in the A9, he will blow his top. So I better tell him, avoid the A9. You know what Sandy's like behind that slow driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, utterly fabulous. And that is episode one done, Gordon. Yes, we've done. Let's get unscripted. We've got a great game the next week. We've got Whistle. We've got the 80Zs of the people um, in the world of whiskey that have made it their life and have made the whiskey what it is in Scotland. And you've already mentioned an A. You didn't even know you did it, Gordon. Talking about Glenn Morey. So we'll get to those. Ian Allen. Ian Allen. Yes. (laughs) So we'll get to these A's. And we've got other stuff, you know, more. And more more guests and more, more, more brilliant things. So look, spread it far and wide, everybody. We've fit 15,000 downloads uh, and I think more listens, actually, which is great. But uh, look, it's we, we love doing it. We hope you enjoy listening to it and a start of another great series. Okay, and a little bit of Welsh whiskey. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I finished my uh, distinction. I should have got a roast bag. Really. Yeah, cheers. Bye bye. On the whiskey trail. Oh, staying ahead.